everyone. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two Onk Docs. Since July is Sarcoma Awareness Month, and I am a sarcoma specialist, this week's episode will be focusing on soft tissue sarcomas. We're going to go over important details on the diagnosis, subtypes, and treatment of a few soft tissue sarcomas. These are rare tumors, and they encompass 1% of all adult cancers. There are many subtypes, and they range from non-cancerous tumors, such as desmoid tumors, to very aggressive cancers and everything in between. So before we start, it's important important to know that sarcomas arise from mesenchymal cells as opposed to carcinomas, which arise from epithelial cells. So that's the big difference. There are over 50 different subtypes of soft tissue sarcomas, so I'm only going to be scratching the surface and really talking in big, broad senses during this episode. And also remember, we've already covered one soft tissue sarcoma just earlier this year. So go back to that episode and take a listen before your boards. Yes, I am so thankful that we have Sam, our sarcoma expert, to guide us through these episodes. We will cover soft tissue sarcomas this week and bone sarcomas next week. And before we get into the specifics on treatments, what are genetic and non-genetic risks for getting a sarcoma? So most sarcomas are actually sporadic tumors. But there can be environmental exposures that increase the risk. The biggest one that I see in my clinic is radiation. The time from radiation to a radiation-induced sarcoma can range between 10 to 30 years, with the average being about 15 years from radiation to seeing the sarcoma. Other things can include Agent Orange, vinyl chloride, and other chemical exposures, as well as HIV virus and human herpes virus 8, which is linked to Kaposi's sarcoma. We also can have chronic lymphedema, which can lead to angiosarcomas. And in the genetic predispositions for getting sarcomas, number one, we think about Lee-Fermini syndrome. This is that mutation in P53. It's associated with many cancers, usually at very young ages. NF1 mutations, and this can lead to the development of malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumors, or MPNST, and then also familial retinoblastoma, which is a mutation in retinoblastoma, or RB, that can lead to leiomyosarcomas. And lastly, we've covered this one a little bit before, but that's FAP or Gardner syndrome. And so that's a mutation in the APC gene. We think about it for desmoid tumors and, of course, colon cancers. Absolutely. These come up often and that HHV8 with Kaposi definitely comes up quite often. And so what are molecular abnormalities that are associated with sarcomas? There are many. There truly is a laundry list. There is no way I think you guys should memorize all of them unless you're interested in sarcomas, but you don't need to know them going into your board day. A few that I do think that we should be aware of, again, just that CKIT or PDGFRA mutations we should be aware of. For well and D-differentiated liposarcomas, we talk about MDM2 and CDK4 amplification. For mixoid round cell liposarcomas, we talk about translocation 1216 or DDIT3 fusion. For synovial sarcomas, we talk about translocation X18 or SS18, SSX1 or SSX2. For alveolar soft parts, we talk about translocation X17. And one of the bone sarcomas that we think of is Ewing sarcoma, and that's translocation 1122, and the fusion is EWSR1 with FLY1. And so that is pathognomonic for Ewing's. Absolutely. I do have quite a few of these marked for my board review, but I don't know if they were actually tested. Um, But to Sam's point, you know, when you're clinically seeing these patients, you can look these up. But definitely for the gist, know the C-KIT and PDGFR alpha. 
And so how and where do sarcomas present? They can happen anywhere, and I truly mean anywhere, but about half of them are located within the thigh, buttocks, and groin, so that's kind of our highest yield place. They can present as a painless growing mass, although of course sometimes they can have pain when we see these patients in clinic. Oftentimes, these painless growing masses are misdiagnosed, so almost all of my patients were told it's a lipoma, non-cancerous, or a cyst, and these are oftentimes ignored until they start to grow or cause symptoms. The median time from presenting with a, the initial mass to diagnosis is about six months in sarcomas. Yes. So definitely even in primary care, if there is a growing mass, uh, have that on your differential. And so how do we diagnose sarcomas? We need to at least have a core needle biopsy. FNAs are not enough. This is similar to lymphomas. An FNA will only give us a cluster of cells, but not provide us the architecture. We need the architecture in sarcomas. So core needle biopsy or incisional or excisional biopsies is what we need to get pathology. And how do we stage sarcomas and what are the prognostic factors? So staging, we need to have an MRI of the extremity or the trunk where the primary tumor is located, a CT if the primary tumor is located within the lungs or the abdomen, and to stage, we at least need chest imaging because sarcomas spread through the bloodstream as opposed to the lymphatic system, and they have a high propensity to metastasize to the lungs. So definitely the primary spot as well as some chest imaging to take a look at the lungs. We can also do bone scans for bone sarcomas, such as osteosarcoma and Ewing's. And again, I can't say enough. Most sarcomas do not travel through the lymphatic system. The, ex the exceptions of this, there's five. It's synovial sarcoma, clear cell sarcoma, angiosarcoma, rhabdomyosarcoma, and epithelioid sarcoma. You guys can remember these by the acronym SCARE, S-C-A-R-E. And this actually was tested on our boards. I remember this was one of the questions. Prognostic variables, this can include the grade, so obviously higher grade is a more aggressive type of tumor, as well as the size. Greater than five centimeters, I start thinking these are big tumors, and so I start thinking they're more aggressive with a worse prognosis. The depth of the tumor also plays into it, so we can have superficial sarcomas, which do better than deep sarcomas, as well as the spread of disease. So if there's metastatic disease, we're already talking something more severe. Now let's talk about treatment. What is the mainstay of treatment for localized soft tissue sarcomas? Surgery. And so if you guys went in doubt on your boards, if there is surgery as an option for sarcoma, you should click it and move on. This is, you know, one, two, and three, we talk about surgical resection. One thing that we need to be mindful of is limb sparing surgery whenever possible, because there is no difference in disease-free survival or overall survival when we compare limb sparing surgery plus radiation to amputation. But obviously there is a big change in quality of life for our patients. We also talk about radiation for localized soft tissue sarcomas, and it's typically used in sarcomas of the extremities or trunk when the tumor is greater than five centimeters. The big question is, do we do preoperative radiation or postoperative radiation? And this depends on risks and benefits. So preoperative radiation, it's a smaller volume of radiation, so a smaller field. It's a lower dose, but you can have delayed wound healing. Postoperative radiation, it's a larger field of radiation, a higher dose needed, but there's less wound complications. 
It's also controversial to give radiation for any retroperitoneal soft tissue sarcomas. And this is because we did have a Strauss trial that was negative, showing no benefit for radiation to retroperitoneal sarcomas. Adjuvant chemotherapy is a very controversial topic, so I really don't think you guys can get tested on this. So meta-analysis, it has shown benefit for overall survival with adjuvant anthracycline-based chemotherapy for high-grade, larger, so greater than 5-centimeter sarcomas of the extremity. But again, there is no black or white rules. If you open up the NCCN guidelines, it says case-by-case discussion, so I don't think you guys could be tested on adjuvant chemo. This is super important. And definitely remember surgery with radiation as the mainstay of treatment for soft tissue sarcomas. And so how do we treat patients that have a local recurrence? So this was a board question, and the answer is generally re-resection. And so, again, if surgery is an option, we should be thinking surgery with the addition of radiation if possible. So, again, local therapy for local recurrence. So we've covered that the mainstay for localized disease is surgery, radiation, and there's not a huge role for systemic therapy, but how do we treat metastatic soft tissue sarcomas and what systemic therapies do we use in this setting? Definitely. This is when chemo comes into play in the metastatic setting. And I think this is when you guys can be tested on some chemo regimen specific to sarcomas. In general, the first line therapy is doxorubicin with or without ifosfamide. So when in doubt, guess doxifosfamide for a sarcoma question. The addition of ifosfamide doubles the response rates as well as the median progression-free survival, but it actually had no change in overall survival. Ifosfamide has good activity in synovial sarcomas and mixed round cell liposarcoma. So try to add it on in those, but otherwise it's a conversation of risk benefits. Doxorubicin plus decarbazine, however, is first line for lyomyosarcomas, and this combination improves median progression-free survival as well as overall survival for lyomyosarcomas. Second-line therapy, we generally talk about gemcitabine with or without docetaxel. Again, the combination doubles our median progression-free survival. We do see a trend towards improved overall survival with the combination. And docetaxel with gemcitabine, again, for lyomyosarcomas, the combination is better than gem alone. But on all comers, we think gemcitabine is doing the bulk of the heavy lifting. You can add docetaxel in, but you need to weigh in risk benefits and toxicity. Other chemotherapies that we talk about in the sarcoma realm is trabectidin. We use this for the L sarcoma, so that's liposarcoma, especially myxoid liposarcoma, and lyomyosarcoma. Aripulin we utilize for liposarcomas. Paclitaxel, we actually is very sensitive for angiosarcomas as well as Kaposi sarcomas. Pazopinib is a catch-all TKI for soft tissue sarcomas that are not liposarcomas. This was a question on our ITE when we were third-year fellows, and they tried to trick you into giving pazopinib for liposarcomas, but it's a no-go. Any other sarcoma, you can try pazopinib, but not lipo. This was approved based on the phase three Paulette trial, which showed a median PFS of 4.6 months versus 1.6 months in the placebo arm after chemotherapies. We also sometimes talk about immunotherapy for certain subtypes, and those can be myxofibrosarcoma, undifferentiated pleomorphic sarcoma, cutaneous angio, and dedifferentiated liposarcoma, as well as all comer sarcomas if the tumor mutational burden is greater than 10. One other caveat before we move on is atezolizumab is approved for alveolar soft part sarcoma. 
Yes, these are super high yield points and definitely make sure you re-listen to this section of the episode. And as Sam mentioned, general first-line therapy is that AIM regimen, AIM, with the anthracycline or doxorubicin, iphosphamide, and mesna. And so are there any targeted therapies for soft tissue sarcomas? There are, and thankfully the list is growing, but a few I think you guys should be aware of is pexadartinib, which is a CSFR inhibitor. We use this for tenosynovial giant cell tumor, and you need to know that this drug can have liver toxicity. It led to two deaths in the trial that got it approved. Tazimetastat is an ESH2 inhibitor. We use this for epithelioid sarcomas. Palbocyclib, as well as ribocyclib, we use for well and D-differentiated liposarcomas because they are CDK4 amplified. So that's kind of a breast cancer drug that we use also in sarcomas. NAB serolimus, or an mTOR inhibitor, we use for the ultra-rare pacoma. And imatinib, we use for dermatofibrosarcoma protuberans. Those are all testable. Yes, very testable, and you really pronounce all of those extremely well. I'm impressed. Um, (laughs) So what about desmoid tumors? How are those treated? So desmoid tumors, we do lump them under sarcomas, but they are non-cancerous, non-metastasizing neoplasms. They can cause functional morbidity because if they are locally invading or if they're pushing off a ureter, causing hydronephrosis and kidney failure. So even though they're non-cancerous, they can be devastating. They can be very painful. Treatment for desmoid tumors right now, number one, two, and three is observation. As long as it's in a non-morbid place and in those patients are asymptomatic, you just watch. The reason we just watch is about one-third of these tumors will spontaneously regress or disappear. Another one-third will grow at maybe a very slow rate and not do anything. And some of them will remain stable forever. So observe, observe, observe. We try to avoid surgery in these tumors because what we've seen is that if one cell is left behind, there can be a rapid recurrence of the desmoid tumor and it can be devastating just because of the local destruction. Local therapies that are not surgery, we can do ablations, and these are performed by our colleagues in interventional radiology, cryoablation, radiofrequency ablation. Systemic therapies, historically, we used to use things like NSAIDs or tamoxifen. We don't really use those anymore, but honestly, the boards are a little behind in updating, so those could be options on test day. But in the real world, we talk about serafinib first line. We talk about doxel. And thankfully, in last month, in May of 2023, the New England Journal of Medicine came out with our trial of Neurogastat, which is anticipated to be FDA approved in fall of 2023. This will be the first FDA approved drug for desmoid tumors. Everything we do is off-label. And one thing you guys do need to be aware of is that desmoid tumors are associated with Gardner syndrome or FAP. And so that's the mutation, the APC gene. So they are at high risk for colon cancers, thyroid cancers, CNS tumors, um, as well as desmoid tumors. Absolutely. And so before we end, can you talk a little bit about Kaposi's sarcoma? Absolutely. So Kaposi's sarcoma is a soft tissue vascular tumor. It can involve the skin most commonly, but also the mucosa as well as the viscera. In the United States, sarcoma 
Kaposi sarcoma is associated with herpes virus 8 and also HIV infection. So almost all of the Kaposi sarcoma I see are related to HIV infections. At the time of cutaneous diagnosis, you also need to check for mucosal and visceral involvement with scans. They can lead to devastating and even life-threatening GI bleeds as well as destruction of organs. The cornerstone treatment of Kaposi sarcoma is highly active antiretroviral therapy or heart therapy. So like I say, observation for desmoid is one, two, and three treatment. Heart, 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 heart for Kaposi sarcoma associated with HIV. Controlling the HIV controls the Kaposi sarcoma, and that might be all we need for limited disease. If heart is not enough, we talk about two chemo drugs, liposomal doxorubicin and paclitaxel. And you can also utilize radiation if there's one or two spots. That was such a great overview, and I'm really impressed with how you summarized such a wide topic into a bite-sized episode. And so what are our key takeaways? I got to say, it was very hard to nip this down um, because it is truly many fields within one term of sarcoma. But our key takeaways are sarcomas arise arise from the mesenchymal cells. This is very different than carcinomas. Our genetic risks, again, is Lee-Fermini, NF1, familial retinoblastoma, and FAP Gardner syndrome. Sarcomas rarely spread through the lymph nodes, but the five that do are SCARE, synovial, clear cell, angio, rhabdo, and epithelioid. Primary treatment for soft tissue sarcoma is limb sparing surgery with radiation. This is equivocal to amputation and it does have a big impact on quality of life. Another cornerstone, which is surgery, is re-resection if there's a local recurrence with radiation if possible. The most common place for metastatic disease is the lungs. So you guys have to be looking in the lungs as well as other bone lesions. So we get bone scans occasionally for some of the the subtypes. First-line chemo for metastatic soft tissue sarcoma should be knee-jerk doxorubicin with or without iphosphamide. For desmoid tumors, again, observe, observe, observe when possible, but systemic treatments right now, serafinib, historically NSAIDs or tamoxifen, and the soon-to-be-approved norogastat. Kaposi sarcoma is the last thing that I will cover in key takeaways, and this is in the U.S. associated with HIV and human herpes virus 8. We treat with heart, 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 and then if we need chemo, liposomal doxorubicin or paclitaxel. That's a great overview, and thank you for our listeners for tuning in. Good luck with studying. Please reach out to us with corrections, comments, and our Instagram or Twitter to OncDocs. And if you're enjoying these episodes, please feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Happy Sarcoma Awareness Month, and next week we'll talk about bone sarcomas.